you're an eating disorder expert, regardless of discipline, you really do have to prepare people ahead of time. It's just like preparing parents for the storm that's going to come. You know, everybody kind of dances on eggshells and doesn't want to upset an adolescent when you're doing home-based refeeding. You may as well give up that fantasy. (laughs) You are listening to the Eating Disorders Recovery Podcast with me, Tabitha Farrar. Hello there. Welcome to this week's podcast. Today, you are going to hear a conversation that I had, and it's just a brief one today, a little one. It's like a mini podcast compared to some of the marathon hour-long conversations that I have with people about eating disorders. This little 20-so-minute podcast, I talked to Therese Waterhouse about um, what it is to be a registered dietitian and what dietitians do in the role of eating disorder recovery. They are working with a client who has an eating disorder. So the first thing that I asked Therese is to tell us a little bit about herself. Here's Therese. Hello, my name is Therese Waterhouse and I have a private practice in Corvallis, Oregon, treating um, mostly eating disorders. I'm a registered dietitian. Um, I have a doctorate in human nutrition and, and nutrition biochemistry, which brings a lot of interesting uh, information to the table. Um, So today we're going to talk about what actually do dietitians do in eating disorder treatment. Um, And it does vary quite a bit, I think, across the spectrum and and different levels of care. The next thing that I asked Therese was if she could explain to me a little bit about actually what is the role of a dietitian when um, dealing with eating disorders? So Let me start with what some of my early training was. Um, I was trained in pediatric nutrition at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. They have an excellent clinical nutrition program and nutrition research program. And I was trained at a tertiary care clinic that worked with children with fairly severe medical and behavioral um, issues. So a lot of these were children diagnosed at birth with cerebral palsy, spina bifida, um, the rare genetic disorders like 13Q minus, and also all the inborn errors of metabolism. And at the clinic, that's where I learned what true multidisciplinary treatment was because we had every discipline in the clinic We had physical therapy, nursing, nutrition, dentistry, speech pathology, uh, medicine, medical genetics, psychology. So all the disciplines were there and all, all of us as interns got to learn what every discipline did. And then if a child was diagnosed at birth, like in the United States, every state has um, early detection and screening. So that's what, when an child is born, they get a little prick on the end of their foot, a little bit of blood is taken, and they screen that for some of the inborn errors of metabolism like PKU or phenylketonuria, um, which is a devastating disease, but there is a treatment, and the treatment is dietary mostly. So we would get all, any kids from newborn screening would be evaluated in the clinic and be evaluated by every discipline. And then a little bit different from the traditional medical model, whichever discipline was going to take the lead in the treatment and intervention and training of families, that discipline or that part of the clinic, those professionals became the case managers. 
So for inborn errors of metabolism, like PKU, where really dietary treatment is the cornerstone of treatment, the nutrition team would then be the case manager. We also had psychologists who were measuring IQ over time for those children and um, pediatric neurologists who were taking care of all the medical things. And then if there were any other needs, such as dentistry, you know, we would it was our responsibility as the case manager to bring them on and say, you know, evaluate this child's dental needs. So that's where I learned that model of multidisciplinary team uh, work. And I loved it. I thought it worked so well. And, and I loved having right there all the different disciplines. So I came out of that thinking this is how the world worked. This is how it worked for any uh, diagnosis. So later in life, when I started to encounter eating disorders, I think I expected similar, and it, it didn't always happen. Um, so what do dietitians do if they're, let's look at different levels of care for the eating disorders. So if somebody is diagnosed with an eating disorder, again, we do know from research that multidisciplinary care and teamwork is best, having all those different disciplines evaluate the person. And of course, disciplines will do more or less depending on the level of care. So somebody inpatient, um, a dietitian or nutritionist, and by the way, in the United States, we are called registered dietitians. Some countries don't have registered dietitians. It may be up to the physician or a nurse to take on the nutrition aspect. So they might be called nutritionists. So I realize looking internationally that there will be varying people maybe taking on the nutrition piece. So inpatient dietitians are looking at, you know, what are the person's needs? Do they have to cope with refeeding syndrome as part of the team? Coming up with meal plans if the person needs to gain weight. Um, you know, coming up with a weight gain meal plan. Um, and then as you go down through levels of care, if you're stepping down to partial hospitalization or an IOP, intensive outpatient, again, the dietitians can take on various roles. In some of those institutions, they may actually act as a case manager. In many institutions, they may be doing quite a bit of training of families or adults or support people. Um, dietitians training um, competencies do state that they have to have basic counseling skills. Dietitians have to know how to help people affect behavior change because after all, eating is a behavior. Shopping is a behavior. Preparing food is a beha behavior. So this is something that uh, nutritionists and registered dietitians have been involved in for decades, really, is helping people change eating behaviors. And I do quite a bit of that in my private practice. I've worked with families that have a youngster who may have ARFID or may have picky eating. <coughs> Excuse me. And I will work with the family essentially using, I use a lot of the um, material from Ellen Satter. She was a pioneer in kind of the family table and family dynamics and really helping parents separate their role from their child's role and that whole division of responsibility. Dietitians very frequently do that in pediatric dietetics is help the family not get into fights with children over food. Um, so that's something we do frequently. 
um, coming up with meal plans, assessing the need for nutrition supplements. So all of that we do. Now, outpatient, I think oftentimes our role is broadened in the field of, e- field of eating disorders. Sometimes, depending on the town or the location where you work, you may not have eating disorder specialists around you. And so if, as a dietitian, if you are the person with the most eating disorder training, you are working with other professionals, encouraging them to perhaps make a differential diagnosis, encouraging them to look at labs differently. Dietitians do have to be trained to know lab values. We, we don't order labs, but in most places we don't order labs. Some places they, they are able to do those orders But sometimes we may look at them with a different eye than the physician or the nurse. And so oftentimes I find myself calling up and saying, hey, what about this or what about this? Um, We also interpret other physical symptoms. I, for example, do take pulses, sometimes blood pressure in my office. If I have a low pulse, I will immediately call the doctor and say, this was my finding. My license doesn't cover me interpreting that. Um, But I can certainly do it and then call uh, the PCP and say, hey, this is what I'm seeing um, in my office. And and then usually that gets things going. That will raise the level of concern and get something going. We need, in, in the eating disorders, dietitians need to be aware of diagnostic criteria, hospitalization criteria. Again, Sometimes we have to encourage other team members to take notice of this, of these things. We also train families and support people. I find myself doing that very frequently. It's a big part of my job is just educating uh, families, support people, as well as other professionals about eating disorders. What are they? Um, how do they present? You know, and what aren't they? So, Anyway, though, that's just a very broad view of what registered dietitians do. Um, it, it really can span the gamut. So the reason, one of the reasons I was so interested to um, have a podcast about this is because, frankly, I didn't know that dietitians did anything else other than sort of say, this is a good food to eat and this is a bad food to eat. So, and, mm. and that they, I, I did have one sort of interaction um when i was sick and i was it was with somebody i think she was a dietitian um and she was telling me that i needed to eat low fat foods because that was that was healthy and so i just immediately knew that that was probably not what i needed to be hearing um and i think <laughs> from that i wrongly wrote off dietitians as they just are really geared to treat the general population and they really are just focused on reducing obesity and, and things like that. And that's not going to be helpful for me personally. Um, and so hearing sort of what a dietitian who is trained and focusing on eating disorder recovery and how they operate and really what it sounds like you're doing there is so much more than just talking about food values. Oh, yes. No, and and you are correct in your identification of a person, and it can be a person of any discipline, nursing, medicine, psychology, 
nutrition, if people, and I'm really, really big on this, if somebody is not well trained in the eating disorders, they shouldn't purport to treat eating disorders. I'm very, very keen on get adequate training. I think, you know, I'd already been trained as a dietitian. I'd worked with medically fragile people. But before I went into private practice, I took a year to a year and a half off and I went to conferences, already had some experience with eating disorders due to a family member having an eating disorder, which is what piqued my interest. But I still took a year to a year and a half off and went and got training. I invested money in myself and I totally advocate that because I've, I've seen that error too. Just as you said, Tabitha, I've seen dietitians be like, well, you still don't want to have butter. And it's like, um, no, no, no be quiet. I mean, if somebody needs to gain weight, um, or certainly with eating disorders, people need to regain flexibility in their thinking about food. You know, so there shouldn't be like big pockets of good food, bad food. I, I no, no, we need to get rid of that. Yeah, the so, rules are different, aren't they? The rules are <clears throat> yes. very different for eating disorders. Yes, the rules are different. And so and, and if you're a specialist in eating disorders, you need to know that and appreciate that. So something that's going to be triggering to the person with an eating disorder doesn't come flying out of your mouth, you know, and, and this goes for all disciplines. And so Therese, um, say if, if I if I if I have an eating disorder, and I know that a dietitian would be a good idea for me, and I should look for one, what things would I be looking for to find, as we've just said, an, a dietitian that knows eating disorders versus one that doesn't? <clears throat> well, the first thing is, I would just say, do you know what you're talking about? <laughs> have you have you treated eating disorders? I would just go through a list of, of short questions. Do you have training in eating disorders? Where did you get that? What is your orientation? You know, do you see eating disorders as a personal choice? Do you see it as all about control? I mean, those are some of the myths that still persist. Um, you know, uh, how long have you been treating eating disorders? <clears throat> do you have any sort of uh, references that I could call. I mean, I would really grill a clinician because eating disorders are serious and any client does not need to be wasting their time with a clinician uh, who doesn't know what an eating disorder really is. <clears throat> and I think, you know, use those same questions, whether you're talking to your pediatrician or your PCP or, the, or a therapist as well. And Therese, actually, there is a question that just came to mind that I'm mm. going to ask. I mean, as, and this may be more profound or more true for adults that have had a restrictive eating disorder for a long period of time. A lot of us, we go from restriction and then we start eating and then we go into extreme hunger. And mm -hmm. um, so how would, how would and how should do you think a dietitian should should handle you know, the restriction, I think we pretty much got it down to encourage mm -hmm. eating. But then most adults that, that I know, when they go into extreme hunger, it scares them, it terrifies them. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I'm just, I'm just wondering how, how um, if you've had clients like that. and, and mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, and I think that's common. Not everybody with a restricting eating disorder goes into extreme hunger, but I think you need to prepare people ahead of time. Sometimes if I see, for example, an adult who's been ill for a while, I prepare them. I say, this, these are things that can happen. Gain weight differently and people's metabolisms are differently. So sometimes as people hit that maintenance phase, they're up to a healthy weight, biological systems are restored, their thinking might start becoming less severe in terms of rigidity or black and white thinking. So they're at that place. <clears throat> and somewhere along the way, it can be early in refeeding or sometimes even in maintenance. I've had some people say, all of a sudden, I've given myself permission to eat. And then they start binging. And I think you need to prepare people for all the things that could happen. I, I tell them, this might not happen to you, but this is very common. And if you do find yourself binging, you know, just let it happen. But it doesn't mean you then restrict. It doesn't mean you go back to binge restrict, binge restrict, which is a very common pattern. You have to convince your body that, that the famine isn't going to happen again. I think we have very ancient homeostatic mechanisms within us that try to correct the ship. And it and and those are probably genetically different for different people, but your body, you know, if it's sensing famine, it's very common then for people to 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 want to binge. Or if you have, in fact, restricted a lot, you know, then some oftentimes hunger will break through, and you want to binge. So I think you have to really teach people about hunger and hunger signals as much as we know them, and teach them that you know if you're you've got to just get your body used to regular ordered eating. And I, you know, I think as you said that preparing people for, mm -hmm. so that they don't get to suddenly just that extreme shock because it can, it can be I've done it it's terrifying the first time that, that I ever um, had extreme hunger and binge ate it's it scared me so much I went into a binge restrict cycle because that seems the obvious thing to do oh I just ate half the fridge full of food so that should last me mm -hmm. and then one restricts and it's it I went through that for years before I learned actually I have to get up the next day and eat breakfast if I binge mm -hmm. at night. And we, for, for someone who went through a binge um, restrict cycle for a, a couple of years, it leveled itself out within a couple of months once I started mm. to continue to eat. Um, mm -hmm. And so, but you know, um, I didn't have anybody to tell me that, that that was actually a natural response to a state of starvation. And mm. just to let it happen and try not to worry about it and keep eating. And, it, you know, um, I think that if I'd known that earlier, then I wouldn't have gone through a couple of years of binge and restrict. That's for sure. Um, and so and, you know, it's the same. I The reason I talk about um, overshoot or what I prefer to call recovery weight a lot is because I didn't know about that either. And that can cause a relapse for sure. Um, I didn't know that you know, just to trust it and to let it happen that my body would sort itself out and return back to its natural weight when it was good and ready. Um, mm -hmm. If I'd known that in advance, that would have been a much easier process. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I think, and that's what, you know, uh, if you're an eating disorder expert, regardless of discipline, you 
really do have to prepare people ahead of time. It's just like preparing parents for the storm that's going to come. You know, everybody kind of dances on eggshells and doesn't want to upset an adolescent when you're doing home-based refeeding. You may as well give up that fantasy. <laughs> they are going to get upset. They're not going to like you. I sometimes use what I call deflection techniques. I tell the parents, you can say to your son or daughter, uh, you know, that naughty dietitian is the one who came up with this meal plan and we're just following their orders and, you know, the doctor wants this to happen. And so, you know, deflect off onto some of the professionals, that's fine. But I do prepare the parents. It's like, nope, your kid is not going to like this. It's going to seem like Zool has appeared, you know, some some monster. They, they may throw the plate of food across the room. Just go buy some plastic plates for this time. And, and when I do meet with the adolescent, and I don't meet with uh, the adolescents frequently, and, and that's sort of an age-dependent mm -hmm. thing, too. If they're 17, it's different than if they're 12. When I do meet with them, I just gently, I sort of tell the story of how an eating disorder can show up. And pretty much 100% of them say, yep, that's how it was. So I t tell the little story. And then I tell them, I'm, I'm not expecting you to enjoy this process you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult process. I understand that you're, you're you may not want to do this. <clears throat> but, um, and that's okay. It's okay. If you don't want to do it, they need to be relieved of sort of the guilt of, oh, now I'm, I'm going to start acting bad. I'm going to yell at my parents. I'm going to swear I might throw food. I tell them, you know, that's, that's the eating disorder. It'll act up but we'll all get through this. You know, your parents are here to support you. The treatment team is here to support you. And then in therapy, they can kind of work through that angst, you know, all that anxiety. They need to learn how to recognize and manage their anxiety that is associated with different aspects of eating. So that's where, you know, the therapist frequently one-on-one -on -one with the adolescent, at least the way I do kind of FBT is I'm coaching the parents, the therapist is helping the adolescent manage anxiety and stress in their life. So um, anyway, but again, preparing the parents ahead of time, just as you would an adult, you know, this is what could happen. And so you really have to understand and know eating disorders and know all these different things that the eating disorder can bring to the table. Yeah, it's a bit like even if I go to the doctor and I have to have a tetanus jab or something, if the doctor says to me, this is going to really hurt, it never hurts as much. If the doctor says to me, oh, you won't feel anything, and I do, it hurts a lot. I would rather be told this is going to really hurt, and then at least I'm expecting it, and it's usually not as bad as I thought it would be than the other way around. They don't like being shocked with things and being able to mentally prepare for states as well. Mm -hmm. uh, like, like the extreme hunger and binges might come in your recovery. Mentally prepare for that. Know it's okay. It, it, that would be such a gift. And mm -hmm. that's what I think, you know, when, when we're talking about what makes a, a good dietitian for an eating disorder, somebody, as you said, that knows eating disorders that can give that reassurance because a lot of the anxiety around those behaviors that we do when we're in recovery is not knowing if it's normal or if it's right or if it's wrong mm -hmm. or if you did the right thing or if you should have. We just have so many anxieties around that. So to have somebody there that says, oh, no, that's, that's cool. It's totally normal to be expected. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And to kind of frame it in terms of the whole biology of starvation, hunger, appetite, you know, I frequently will do that as much as that is known. And we're appreciating more and more about, you know, what drives hunger, appetite, fullness, you know, how does the re- sense of reward reward system in the brain come into play. And so I think just educating people about all of that. And again, I I always say you need to be an eating disorder expert first. And then you just pick up, you know, whatever your discipline is, nursing, nutrition, therapy, medicine, you know, that that's almost second. But if you're going to work with eating disorders, you have to be an eating disorder expert first. Um, I Teresa, I'd love to just um, finish by uh, if people want to learn more about you or anything like that, um, where would they find out? Well, I have a little website. It's www.willamettnutritionsource.com. I have a few little resources up there. Anyway, it's a fairly simple website and it's got contact information on it. And a big thank you to Therese Waterhouse. I think the most important point there was to find a dietitian that really knows eating disorders. As we discussed, the rules are different. The rules are different. The rules are different for me than they are for the general population. Other people can do things like eat low fat and go on diets. So if they want to, they can do that. And it doesn't have the same consequences for them as it would do if I did that. Because I have this mental illness that if I do those things will trigger in my brain and try and kill me. So I steer clear and having a dietitian that really, really gets that is going to be really crucial if you are working with a dietitian in your eating disorder recovery. Thanks for listening. I'm Tabitha and until next time, cheers and cheerio.